Let us pray. Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew, that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them all telling in our own language the mighty works of God. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is from Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of works by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed by God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have you been with me so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me in, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Gospel of the Lord. So um, near the end of the uh, first day of fighting um, of what became known as the Battle of Gettysburg um, in the, the Civil War, um, uh, General George Meade, who was over the Union forces, uh, was, was beginning to second-guess whether the Union forces could actually keep the Southern forces, the Confederacy, um, from coming further into the North. Um, that first day of fighting had been a good one, as it were, uh, for the Confederacy. Um, they had been separated. They had come together. They had taken the town of Gettysburg. And so Meade was rethinking their strategy and wondering if it would be better for the Union forces actually to pull out of Gettysburg to retreat back to D.C. and regroup there rather than continuing in the fighting. Um, his uh, other generals, the generals that were serving other him, uh, uh, under him, pleaded with him not to do that. Right? They believed that even though they had lost the city, they had the ge- geographic or uh, yeah, geographic advantage because um, they were in the higher area, and that they could actually take Gettysburg and prevent the South, uh, the Confederate forces, from coming further into the North. And he eventually um, listened to them and decided for the forces to stay. And as many of you are aware, over the next two days, um, the North was eventually able to take advantage. And it was the Southern forces, the Confederate forces, who um, uh, retreated. And that was a major turning point, of course, in the Civil War and a major turning point for the North beginning to take advantage I mean, so that would have been a, really, I think most historians would agree. And again, I have a son who just graduated with a history major, so I talked to him about this. He gave me the story um, that that was a turning point. And if Meade had listened um, to his second guessing, if he had listened to his doubts, it would have actually probably resulted in many more lives lost in the Civil War. And the Civil War dragging on for, for a longer time than it already went on for. And perhaps some of you have had moments where you were struggling with second-guessing something, some decision, some direction your life was taking, and you can relate to that sense of, you know, is this the right thing? Am I, am I doing what is right? And perhaps you can look back on moments where you were struggling with second-guessing, and you didn't listen to those doubts, and you're so thankful that you didn't, that you're so thankful that you, you stayed with it. And perhaps you've experienced second-guessing and doubts, I'm guessing most of us have, in regards to your life of faith. Perhaps there's times where you've second-guessed, am I really a disciple of Jesus? Do I really belong to God? Am I really loved by the Lord? Can I claim that identity as a son or daughter of God? I'm sure all of us have had times where we second-guessed, where we've listened to the doubts um, that come to mind around our faith. I want to look with you today on this Pentecost Sunday at our Galatians reading where we see the people of Galatia, the the churches in Galatia and that region, that at least some of them were second-guessing their identity as followers of Christ, their identity as members of the family of God. And their second-guessing, their doubts, was very specific because they were teachers who had kind of taken influence in those churches um, that were saying to the Gentile believers, so to non-Jewish believers in Christ, 
They were saying, look, in order to be a child of God, in order to be adopted into the family of God, it's not enough that you've placed your faith in Jesus, right? They weren't saying that people shouldn't place their faith in Jesus, but they were saying you also need to follow the law. And in particular, they were emphasizing males need to be circumcised. There are probably certain dietary laws that they were pushing. So they were saying there's certain, in particular, um, ways that you follow the law, the Torah, we could call it the Old Testament law is a term we often use, that if you're not following those, you don't fully belong to God. So again, they weren't denying Christ, but they were saying that's not enough, faith in Christ. And this drove Paul crazy, right? You can hear it in our our reading. You can hear it if you read the book of Galatians. But the reason he is so upset is not because he thinks circumcision is bad, right? He grew up Jewish. He's Jewish, right? I mean, he, he knows the law. He honors the law. He honors circumcision. But what's driving him crazy is they are saying faith in Jesus isn't enough, that you need to add something to faith in Christ in order to belong to God. And that goes against the very sufficiency of the death and resurrection of Jesus. All we have to do is trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection on our behalf for us to be adopted into the family of God, for us to fully belong to God. And so in this passage, he's basically coming against their second guessing and saying, here's why you don't have to second guess your faith. Here's why you don't have to second guess your identity. Here's why you shouldn't listen to those doubts. And he's appealing to two things in this passage. He's appealing to their experience of the work of the Spirit. He's saying, you've experienced the Spirit. Why would you doubt when you know you've experienced the Spirit? And secondly, he's appealing to the Spirit-inspired Word of God. And so on this day that we celebrate the outpouring of the Spirit, right, let's know that we can have assurance of our faith, that against our doubts comes the work of the Spirit that we experience and the Spirit-inspired truth of the Word of God, right, the work of the Spirit in God's Word and bringing home God's Word to us. All right, so if you look at our, our passage, again, you see that emotion, oh, foolish Galatians, just in general, it's not good to call people fools, but again, these are his friends, right? He's, he's got a relationship with them. He wants them to understand this is really serious. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I believe he's speaking there of, I preach Christ crucified to you. I preach the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, right? That is a message that you have heard at the end of the book of Galatians. Right? He says, God forbid that I should boast in anything but the cross of Christ. So he has preached that message to them, and they have believed it. And so then in verse 2, he says, let me ask you only this, right? I like that he says, let me ask you only this, and he asks them five questions, right? So, so again, you hear the emotion, but really there's sort of one question behind all those questions, except maybe that question, are you so foolish? Um, uh, but mainly he's getting at that first question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you receive the Spirit? Now, notice there's a couple things he's assuming there. One, he's assuming you've received the Spirit. Right, so if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've received the Spirit of God. That's what we're learning there. And again, on this Pentecost Sunday, it's very important to acknowledge that. To put your faith in Jesus Christ, to receive, again, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of sins, the new life that comes from his death and resurrection, is to receive the Spirit of God. He doesn't say, well, some of you who confess Christ receive the Spirit, some of you haven't. No, if you have confessed Christ, then you have received the Spirit. But he's also assuming that they know they've received the Spirit. See, he's not saying, look, you've received the Spirit. Let me convince you that you've received the Spirit. The assumption in his argument is, you know you've received the Spirit, right? You know because you've experienced the Spirit. I don't have to convince you that the Spirit is at work in the midst of you. He's appealing to the fact, you know the Spirit is at work. You've experienced his work. So we see it in the different questions. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Because you know you received the Spirit because you've experienced him. 
Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? When Paul uses that word flesh, by the way, he's not saying the body is bad, right? Sometimes that's confusing because we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the bodily ascension of Jesus, right? Flesh, in the way Paul typically uses it, is opposed to the Spirit. So in other words, look, you began by the Spirit. The Spirit has been working with you. Now are you going to try to do things, you know, um, apart from the Spirit? No, you've experienced the Spirit. Continue to receive and work in the power of the Spirit that you have already experienced. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? That word suffer there actually can also be translated experienced. And so there's actually some question. If you look at different translations, you'll see it translated in different ways. Um, uh, Paul often uses that word specifically to speak of suffering. And so the ESV here translates it as suffering. So what he may be saying is, look, you've suffered. You've been persecuted because of your faith. Was that in vain? Right? If faith in Christ is not enough, why have you been persecuted for it? Or he may be saying, look, what you've experienced, the work of the Spirit in your midst, is that in vain? Is that for nothing? Did that not count? And again, the assumption is they're going to say, well, no. Right? We know God is at work with us. And once again, it comes on the next question. Does he who supplies, which is God, the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Right? How is it that you've experienced God's work among you? Again, for those of you that are not Jewish, that you are Gentile, who have not, again, been circumcised, males been circumcised, who have not followed the intricacies of the law, you've still experienced in your community God's work. You've experienced miracles. So Paul, again, is making, I know I'm being repetitive, but I'm really bringing it home because he's being repetitive. Paul is making the argument, how can you doubt, right, that faith is enough when you've experienced the work of the Spirit? Now, some of you maybe are saying right now, well, hold on a second, because I've actually heard basing your faith on experience is bad. And I would say basing your faith on experience alone is a problem, right? And I think oftentimes people get the message, don't trust experience because sometimes that's all people want to trust, right? They want their their faith to be totally about what I've experienced. And I think sometimes what people hear when you say don't base your faith on experience or sometimes what people are saying when they say that is don't base your faith on emotion alone. Right? Because, again, that can be a problem, right? If, if, if when I feel God is close to me, right, when my emotions say God is close to me, then God is close to me. But if I feel that God is far away or God doesn't love me, right, if it's based on what I'm feeling emotionally, right, then I may believe God doesn't love me when, of course, he still loves me, right? If, if I'm going to, again, base my faith on emotions alone. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't engage with our emotions, right? Yes, get, the word of God is powerful, and God is speaking through his word no matter what. And sometimes we feel that, don't we? We feel sadness when we read the word of God as we're aware of our sin. We feel joy as we're aware of our salvation, right? We feel conviction. We feel the power of God's word. God's word is powerful no matter what, but the spirit is alive and active. And so, of course, at times we're going to experience emotion, and that's all right, right? We can even move around, as Andine just uh, directed us to, right? We can, we can engage because, again, the spirit cares about our entirety. So, yes, it's not experience alone. It's not emotion alone. But God works in experiences. And again, we don't just experience the Spirit of God through our emotions, although sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, right? But we experience the Word of God through our mind being engaged with the truth. But that's where he begins. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I preached this message to you, and you assented, right, mentally. Not just mentally, right? You assented with all of yourself. But there was a mental assent. There was a yes I believe this, right? To put our faith in Jesus is to say, I believe this. And he's saying, that's a work of the Spirit, right? You experience the Spirit as you believed, right? If you think about it, right? I mean, it's captured right there. Public portrayed as crucified. I told you that the Messiah, 
The Savior, the one who gives you forgiveness of sins, actually died on a cross. He experienced what the Bible says, being cursed by God. And I told you that he rose again, and you believed it. (laughs) That's an example of the experience of the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying if you believe something crazy, it must be true. Um, That is not the message I want to say. But when we step back and we look at our faith, we can say, I know this is true, and that's the work of the Spirit, right? I mean, there's many logical reasons, right? There's good historical reasons to believe our faith, or to to believe through faith, right, to have faith. But part of it is the Spirit giving us faith, right? And that happens as we mentally engage with the truth, right? And experience also involves God's work among us, right? Completely apart from our emotional response, completely apart from our mental response, is we can see God at work. He speaks of God who has done miracles among you. And perhaps when we hear miracles, especially on Pentecost Sunday, we think, you know, Book of Acts, miracles, and yes, right? God did amazing miracles in Book of Acts. God continues to do amazing miracles. Read church history, and you can hear account after account of amazing miracles that God has done, of healing, right, and of, you know, working among nations. And so, yes, God does huge miracles, and we continue to pray for those, and we continue to hear testimonies of God's healing power and God's miraculous work. But we can also celebrate the way God intervenes, right, that's perhaps in smaller, more subtle ways. I don't want to cheapen the word miracle here, right? Miracles are miracles, right? I mean, sometimes people talk about, like, the miracle of childbirth. Childbirth is not a miracle. I mean, it's amazing, right? But, I mean, I'm talking about supernatural intervention. And, again, that can be in huge ways, but we can also celebrate the ways in which God intervenes and shows himself, right? That we realize there is a power beyond me, and I can see that power at work, and I can see that power as a personal power. There is a, a, a person who is at work, if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, David Goodell, one of our members, um, shared a brief uh, testimony about playing saxophone on our worship team. And he shared about how the first Sunday he played saxophone, we had two services on that Sunday. And at the end of the first service, he said everything his body was telling him was, you are done playing the saxophone, right? He was talking about, he was realizing, I still have one more service, and basically all implications are, I'm not going to be able to make it. And then he just said, but I did it, Right? And he said, that wasn't a big deal for you all. You just all thought, oh, he just played a second service. But for him, he knew God intervened, right? It was God who was doing it. And I don't know about you, but when I heard that testimony, that gave me faith, right? I mean, I was like, it's a miracle. It's amazing. You know, I mean, again, you could be skeptical and say, oh, he just, you know, had the, you know, in, in him, right? But again, it was in line with what I've experienced, right? That, that the Lord is at work. I had an experience um, this fall, um, feeling a lot of anxiety. I know that's surprising that I was feeling anxiety in the fall. I'm sure I was alone um, in that. Um, but I was wrestling through some things, and one day I was out for a run and was just kind of thinking through stuff. And I just felt like the Lord was saying um, to meditate on the fruits of the Spirit, which is a, a, a verse, um, verses um, later in the book of Galatians, where Paul speaks about the, the fruit that the Spirit um, bears in us, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, self-control, I'm forgetting one, faithfulness, that's an important one. Um, uh, that, and so I was like, okay, Lord, I just need to reflect on those fruits of the Spirit and kind of um, ask the Spirit to bring fruit where I can't do it in my own power. And so that was sort of the sense I had as I was running. The next day I was out walking my dog, Walked by a house and, um, that uh, very near my house um, that, as far as I could tell, any time I'd walked by it, it had a big um, window in the front or has a big window in the front. The curtains had always been closed. And that's the day I was walking by. Uh, the curtains were open. I just happened to glance into the windows I was walking by. And there on the wall of that house, right, right in front of the window, was written the fruits of the Spirit. And it was just sort of this moment of like, oh, well, thank you, Lord. Right? It was an intervention of God. Now, again, is that a miracle? Is that a coincidence? You know, I don't actually, I'm not too concerned about it. Because I know at that moment, it was the Lord encouraging me, right, and intervening. It's a moment where I could say, thank you, Lord. 
I, I already believed that you were speaking that to me, but it was like kind of God wanted to say, hey, this really is me. I want you to know that. And again, if that was the only time I experienced that, maybe I'd be kind of skeptical, but I, I hope I'm not the only one. That experience in small ways, sometimes in bigger ways, God's intervention. And that's what Paul is appealing to here. He's saying, you've experienced the intervention of God. You've experienced his work among you, both individually and as a community. You hear community language here. So you can trust that. But then he moves into, and this is in line with the scriptures. The spirit of God working within you is the spirit of God who inspired the scriptures, who speaks to the scriptures, and so of course it's in line. Right? And this is really important. And this is where I think people get nervous about talking too much about experience because sometimes I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard as well, folks who say, you know what, what I've experienced is in line with the word of God. And therefore, I'm going to go with my experience. Sorry, I just don't believe this about the Bible because that's just not true to my experience. And this is where we say if we believe the spirit of God is working and active, it is the same spirit who's at work in God's scriptures who's in work in us now. And so they're always going to align. Right? Again, my experience, right? I mean, God was speaking to me to the scriptures. He was saying the fruit of the Spirit is, is at work within you. Continue to meditate on it and ask the Lord to grow fruit in you. It's totally in line with the scriptures. And the scriptures say God speaks and God's alive. And I was experiencing that. If I experienced something that was not in line with the scriptures, I probably would have said, hmm, right? this is in line with the scriptures. What's going on here? This must not be the work of the Spirit. This is, again, we've talked a lot about this in regard to discernment. And so we can think about those who are arguing, you must be circumcised. You must follow the law. And I'm sure they were using the scriptures, right? We can actually appreciate that they probably were making this argument, which, again, was ultimately a harmful one. But they were probably making it because they loved God's word. And they were saying, we have to honor God's word, right? I'm sure they were looking at the book of Genesis, which we looked at um, uh, uh, throughout the spring of the family of Abraham. And they were saying, look, God commanded Abraham directly that his whole household, all the males in his household, need to be circumcised. And there would have been implications if he had disobeyed that. So now you're disobeying God by not having your households be circumcised. So Paul, again, wouldn't say, well, experience doesn't agree with that. So right off the scriptures. No, he goes to the word of God. And so he says, look at the second part, or verse 6, right, the second part of that question there in verse 5. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right, basically, to be counted righteous is to belong to the family of God. Right? We cannot be counted righteous apart from God. Right? We can't make ourselves righteous. We can try to do righteous things, but ultimately it's God who makes us righteous. That is very clear. And so Paul is saying, but look at Abraham. When Abraham believed God, through faith, he was counted as righteous. And when does that happen? Well, again, if you were with us in that series, this is why we study God's word, we know that happened before circumcision. And that wasn't once Abraham was circumcised that he was counted righteous. It was before he and all of his household were circumcised. It was before the giving of the law, and he was counted righteous. And so Paul's looking at the scriptures. He's saying, actually, the scriptures show us that Abraham belonged to God before he was circumcised, before the law was given. It was through faith. It was through trusting in the Lord. And then he continues. Then in the next passage, if you or the rest of the passage, you turn the page, verse 8, and the scriptures foreseeing, that God would justify the Gentiles, so Gentiles are non-Jewish people, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, nations is basically used synonymously with Gentiles, right? When a Jewish person heard nations, they would think non-Jewish people. And so the Lord is saying to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Not in you shall all the nations become part of the nation of Israel. Right, the nation of Israel was chosen by God to be right, priests to the rest of the world, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. 
But the ultimate goal was not that every nation would become the nation of Israel. The ultimate goal was that all nations would be blessed through the nation of Israel. But they would remain Gentiles. And so Paul's saying, you don't need to become Jewish. You don't need to convert to Judaism. Your faith in Christ brings you into the family of God. You can remain Gentiles, and there it is in the word of God. The spirit is at work. You see the same dynamic in the Acts 2, right? We just read the beginning of the story of Acts 2 of the day of Pentecost, right? But what happens first? They experience the Spirit, right? I mean, in amazing ways, right? They're speaking in different languages or flames of fire. And then, and this wasn't included in our reading, but you probably maybe know the reading. Then Peter gets up and he preaches the Word of God. He says, what's going on? What are we experiencing? Let's look at God's Word. Let's look at what the Spirit has taught us in God's Word. They always go together. And so on this day, I want to encourage you, right, if you're struggling with second-guessing, if you're struggling with doubts, right, to look at the work of the Spirit, the ways you've experienced the Spirit. If you're saying, I haven't experienced the Spirit, pray. And actually ask the Lord maybe to open your eyes to the ways you have experienced the Spirit and pray that you continue to experience the Spirit. Again, the Spirit is alive. He is at work in our midst. God is at work in our midst. And also to trust God's Word, to look to God's Word. Just a final note. Um, uh, as as I, I end here, as we get ready for um, uh, Claire's baptism, um, although it's not implicit in this passage, right, you clearly see in this passage, right, the, the importance of unity, right? There's, there's one faith, right, that, that unites us. And that's actually part of what was happening there that Paul was really wanting to resist, right? They're not different tiers of faith. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are fully a member of the body of Christ, of the family of God. And that's a unifying message. I think that's such an important message for us to hear, right? Because, again, like probably most of you, I was so happy, right, with the end of the mass mandate. I'm so happy that things are opening up um, in the United States, even as my heart breaks for countries where, you know, COVID is still doing incredible damage. And a lot of people are still suffering here, so let's be clear, right? There are many that are still dying from COVID. But I'm thankful for the opening up. But again, perhaps like many of you, I actually felt some anxiety around it, right? Because I thought, oh, no. More disunity, right? Now we have a mask and unmasked service, right? We actually have people doing both at a service, right? At least when we were mass service, everyone's wearing masks, right? And so now this actually can lead to more awkwardness. This can lead to more tension, right? And I'm sure you all are feeling that as well. And again, even while we're celebrating, right, we just need to acknowledge, yeah, we're going to continue to navigate this, right? And who knows what the future, right? But what we see in Pentecost is God loves diversity, He loves lots of different people being part of his family, right? Right there, the beginning of the day of Pentecost, various languages were spoken. And so we can celebrate. That's the way the church is supposed to be. And we don't have to be disunified even if we land at different places, right? I mean, the thing about the masses, you can see it more, right? The the different, you know, decisions and different reasons that people have. Some folks absolutely must wear masks right now, and we understand that, right? But, But again, may those masks or whatever it is, may be live stream versus, you know, in person, most of those things remind us that while there are different places we're landing, our faith is so much bigger than that. And actually, rather than being a place of discord, although, again, I understand feeling the discord, let's say, hey, this reminds me, actually, that our faith is bigger than the things that divide us, right? And there's always going to be things that divide us. But we are brought together with a common faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so we're going to um, sing uh, that song. I see our musicians. <laughs> I better say a prayer as they get to the thing. I'm going to pray anyway. I was going to pray regardless. Uh, but we'll have this song to sing as we prepare uh, for baptism. But let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of the Spirit, which is amazing. You have poured out your Spirit on us. The living God indwells us. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive and we can experience you. And I pray, Lord, in particular, for any today who resonate with that sense of doubt, 
with a sense of second guessing. Maybe there's some here today who have never put their faith in you because of certain doubts. That they would experience your spirit at work in the world, speaking through your word, affirmed and borne witness to by your church. We just thank you for that. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, continue to empower us, continue to open our eyes to see reality. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.